welcome or welcome back to Modern Medieval the Podcast. I'm Ella. And I'm Megan. And this week we are starting the first part of a kind of like two-parter um, episode couplet, if you will, on Sir Gawain and the Green Knight. Yeah. This is because, you know, the film has recently been released, at least in America, it released on um, July 30th. It was meant to release here in the UK on August 6th, and that has been pushed back to an indefinite. No! Um, <laughs> oh, that's so annoying! All of my friends and I are fucking mad, uh, to say the least. Is there, like, what's the reason? Do you know what the reasoning is? No forking idea. Um, and this is like the third time or something that it's been pushed back because of the pandemic and everything. Is and it because they won't be able to have like a proper, what are they called, you know, publications or? No, I mean, cinemas are open and everything. So I don't, I like looked into, I should have had it up, but it's just frustrating because I've been seeing, you know, reviews going through for the US and mm-hmm. it's been getting really good oh, reviews good. and people are really appreciating it. Um, and it's apparently doing a really good job of capturing kind of the essence of the story. Oh, that's, that, that's a first. Yeah, director David Lowry is has apparently done like a really beautiful job. And for those of you who don't know, David Lowry directed a ghost story, or he was the editor of that, Pete's Dragon, um, and some other things. But he's a really beautiful uh, like director and just has like a very great vision and like is able to capture, you know, the atmosphere, just mm-hmm. like Dennis Villeneuve who did Blade Runner 2049 um, has the new Dune coming out, which looks fucking epic. I'm so excited. Um, you know, just some directors can harness that vision. Yeah. So I'm going to see if we can't find a way to, um, I have some connections with people who, get like review um, screeners and stuff like that because our intention initially was to talk about the medieval text in this episode and then in the next following episode talk about the movie once we'd both seen it but that kind of got blown up but we've still done the work for the medieval aspect so that's what we're doing today (laughs) yeah I mean to be fair we do have a little bit of time as um, we'll be taking a short break um in August anyway so hopefully by the time that we're back it will be out I mean I doubt that but yeah maybe we'll have had a chance to watch it or I mean you're in Italy it might be in theaters there I'm not sure what the Italian release date is oh that's not literally (laughs) I feel like at the moment um and every country seems very, very problematic and annoying. So you never know. Maybe it will be. I'll let you know. Uh, yeah. So Ello, though, for this episode, asked if we could do a her interviewing me kind of on my thoughts on the story. Yeah. Right, uh, so the reasoning behind this is because, um, okay, this is very controversial and I'm really sorry to say this, but I'm not a big um, fantasy person. So I will watch these things and I will read them. And obviously this is a medieval poem, so it's interesting. But I think that as this was Megan's idea, I'm kind of interested in knowing, because she's got a very beautiful brain and a very beautiful way of thinking about 
certain things. So it's kind of, it kind of seems my opinions on this are very rudimental. So like, I'd rather hear her, if that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. I mean, this is the first that Ella's explaining her rationale behind it. So thank you. (laughs) Uh, Um, Yeah. So I guess like, obviously, before we delve into the short, into the poem, I was just wondering, is this your first time reading it? Um, so no, we had in my year six so sixth grade, we went and read like Arthurian cycles. Don't remember the name of the book we read. I really want to say it was by E.B. White. I, that yeah. could be so wrong. So don't. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so there was a Sir Gawain, you know, adapted for young adults version there. So we read it then. And I don't, other than knowing that I read it, I don't have any like recollection of like the story. Mm-hmm. I just remember that's when we went to like medieval times was part of that process. We had to make a shield with like our own coat of arms and mine was a fox, a red fox. Um, and it was like all glittery and stuff. I remember I was really proud of it. Um, and then my sophomore year of high school um, was like old English up until like the 1800s or something like that. So right. that was when we were read Beowulf, which as I said, I like really didn't do the reading for. And Sir Gawain was another one that we read. But yet again, I don't think I read the whole thing. I read most of it, if not all of it though. Right. Um, but again, I didn't, you know, I remember the plot points, but I wasn't like, oh, this is so cool. Yada, yada. Um. I don't think we read it in my Chaucer course, um, or not Chaucer, but like Old English course at Kami College. But then again, as I've admitted, I usually just like pieced out halfway through the class each week and like did minimal reading. So maybe it was on the roster and I just didn't do it. Enough, yeah. Um, I usually just chose like one thing and was like, this is what I'm going to write my essay on and then just checked out for the rest of it. So fair enough. I got, you know, A's on everything, but oops. Bad, bad Megan. Bad. No one followed that example. It was naughty. Um, so yeah, I reread it in its entirety for this. Um, you know, I've listened to medievalists.net, did an episode on Sir Gawain and the Green Knight. So I listened to that fairly recently with like in the last year. So I had that fresh in my mind, talking with friends about the movie coming out, watching the trailers, like reading about, you know press coming up and everything yeah so then last night I read it properly um a translation of it on the Camelot project through the University of Rochester right which also has lots of other like medieval um saints lives and things it's a really great project um and so I read a translation by Jesse Weston and this is from like the beginning of the 20th century so 1900 and it's a prose version so uh, yeah I read a prose version as well um I'll tell you who I read <laughs> this person had published it in the 80s okay so you read a later Jesse Lee Weston is that the name you said I'm sorry I, I feel like I checked out when you said the name Jesse Weston is who I read yeah me too oh okay so yeah maybe it was like a reprint of the same yeah version yeah yeah something. um so yeah that's my like encounter story uh yeah. I mean Ella is what's your well, literally my my encounter with this is you 
<laughs> okay. Okay. So this is your first time reading it. And yeah. I feel like with this podcast, it's really pushing me to be out of like the reevaluate the things I like, you know, and like mm-hmm. take, give things a second chance. Um, but I think because I don't have like the childhood passion of it, I it's a new it's a new moment for me. So I don't really ever know what to think of it, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. Um, well, I'm glad I, this is one of the I best, like a lot of people really love this story. Yeah. Um, so I really enjoyed rereading it, to be quite fair. So Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, and so what's your favorite passage, if you have one? Um, my favorite passage. So... I really love the section that talks about the transfer of the seasons. It's yeah. Quite unusual in medieval romances to have such an awareness of autumn and winter. Usually there's lots of talk about spring and summer, you know, the blossoming and blooming and changing. But in this, to have such a beautiful way of experiencing the change of the seasons after the green night, you know, comes and does the challenge and everything. Um, Very much appreciated that. Um, I guess before I like kind of read some of that passage, I, we should give a brief summary. of. Sorry. Yes, you're right. Sir Gawain and the green night. I don't know if you want to do it or if you want me to do it. Um, Um, I don't mind. We can do it together. Okay. Um, So I'm just going to kind of read off the um, British Library version (laughs) of what is Sir Gawain and the Green Knight about? Yeah. So first of all, it's an anonymous poem, Sir Gawain and the Green Knight. Uh, We don't know who the poet is, though often this anonymous poet is paired with the poet of Pearl, which we will eventually get to and discuss in later episodes. I've never read it, so I think. Um, the poem only survives in a single manuscript at the British Library, Cotton MS Nero AX, and it was copied out by a scribe who was unlikely to have also been the author. So, um, you know, there's a, a, a gap between yeah. that. Um, at the beginning of the 15th century, um, and the man- manuscript, as I was saying, also contains three other poems, Patience, Cleanness, and Pearl which are stylistically similar to Gawain and the Green Knight and are therefore thought to be the work of the same poet. And studying this poem's dialect allows us to pinpoint uh, where in like the Cheshire area in the Northwest Midlands region of England, this yeah. poet is from. So yeah. Chaucer wrote in his contemporary Middle English moment, London yeah. uh, dialect, which is what the closest to what we speak now. So this yeah. is, has some old Norse language in it. It has Welsh, English. It's this really interesting concoction. And I just think that's fascinating because it shows, even though we're not that far apart, at least being an American from an American perspective, just how different language is and how fluid it is. And um, I haven't read the original Middle English. Neither have I. I am still learning how to read Middle English and the Middle English I'm learning how to like be familiar with is the London more kind of quote unquote standard yeah. one because it's different. I tried the first couple sentences and I went, this will take me way too long. Someday, yeah. someday. Um, so that's just like a brief history of it. And then, yeah. So what, what is it about? <laughs> 
So Sir Gawain and the Green Knight tells the story of a young knight at the legendary court of King Arthur. The poem opens with a description of a Christmas feast at Camelot, uh, the Arthurian court. <laughs> and during the feast, a mysterious green knight with green hair and green skin riding a green horse arrives and challenges the assembled crowd to a bizarre game, which sets off a chain of events in which Gawain faces trials and temptations. And the game is known as kind of like the beheading game. Yeah. Which sounds self-explanatory. So basically the green knight comes in and he's like, I have a, a challenge. I will let you, whatever knight comes to me one blow uh to me with my axe which is this like huge sharp like mega axe that's like four feet wide or something crazy and um he says but the deal is in a year and a day so new year's day you have to come find me and i get to deal you another challenge blow and no no one it's just like crickets and silence and then arthur is like oh i'll do it and then Gawain, who is supposed to be this very um, kind, considerate, and uh, modestly courageous knight, he's also the nephew of Arthur, mm. says, no, no, I will do it. The king of the land shouldn't have to take on this challenge. Yeah, this challenge. And so, you know, Gawain goes up, gets the knife, or the, I'm sorry, the axe, and beheads the green knight. And you think, well, that's it. And there's this kind of great passage where... Um, the head like was chopped off so violently that it rolls on the ground and spurts blood off the feet of quite a few people. <laughs> yeah. And then the knight's beheaded body just goes and picks up the head and the head starts speaking and is like, in a year's time, look for the green chapel and rides away. And you know, so there are these really interesting supernatural elements and the story continues and we get this passage. So I'll say the passage. Should I say the passage or should I continue with the overall summary and then return to the passage? What would you like to me to do? Hello. I think if you were to read it now, it would make sense. Okay. So yeah, after the Green Knight rides away, they have like this huge celebratory feast, you know, because it's New Year's Eve. Um season of Christ's birth on earth, yeah. God becoming man, etc., etc. And so here we go. It says, For Yule was now overpassed, and the year after, each season in its turn following the other. For after Christmas comes crabbed Lent, that will have fish for flesh and simpler cheer. But then the weather of the world chides with winter. The cold withdraws itself, the clouds uplift, and the rain falls in warm showers on the fair plains. Then the flowers come forth, meadows and grove are clad in green. The birds make ready to build and sing sweetly for solace of the soft summer that follows thereafter. The blossoms bud and blow in the hedgerows rich and rank, and noble notes enough are heard in the fair woods. After the season of summer, with the soft winds, when zephyr breathes lightly on seeds and herbs, Joyous indeed is the growth that waxes thereout when the dew drips from the leaves beneath the blissful grace of the bright sun. But then comes harvest and hardens the grain, warning it to wax ripe ere the winter. The drought drives the dust on high, flying over the face of the land. The angry wind of the welkin wrestles with the sun. The leaves fall from the trees and light upon the ground. And all brown are the groves that but now were green. 
and ripe as the fruit that once was flower. So the year passes into many yesterdays, and winter comes again, as it needs no sage to tell us. It's actually fucking amazing because it's exactly <laughs> the same passage that I thought was like the most amazing, but most striking. Um, oh, that's cool that we both. Um, yeah. So for me, with kind of this environmental angle that I'm currently looking at my research, yeah. this to me just really stood out, especially just that last sentence. So the year passes into many yesterdays. Yeah. That is poetic. Oh, so poetic and beautiful. Yeah. And when I was reading it out loud, I don't know if you caught on to, you know, there was alliteration and internal rhymes going on. So briefly, before we continue with um, the rest of the story, this is like an interlude. Um, As I said earlier, the poem is written in a certain type of alliterative verse. So it's it's a very complex form. It uses internal rhyme, also known as alliteration. As well as this, like, style of alliteration, it uses a metrical form called the bob and wheel. So this means each stanza ends with a short half line of only two syllables. Right. You know, the bob. And then that is followed by a mini stanza of longer lines, which rhyme internally. And that is called the wheel. And this complicated form is used for over 2,500 lines of verse in this poem. So... So yeah, impressive. I like, wonder that must be like quite a lot of you can do quite a lot of things with it if you were to do it. Um, if you were to read it, um, if the translations of it were like you know, in trying to mimic the the rhythm and the metrics and stuff, because obviously we're reading this in prose. Yes, I agree, and I I do commend this um, translator because we do get a little bit of some of those yeah poetic aspects. Yeah. But also just visually, the way that yeah. it would look on the page, um, kind of ebbing and flowing in and out of itself. Yeah. But uh, I have a lot of admiration. I mean, it's quite interesting because obviously, like the last episode we did was on Beowulf, and we did mm-hmm. like a similar kind of thing. It's got a lot. I've got a lot of admiration for these poets or um, authors who choose to translate such texts because it's quite a challenge. Hundred percent, and I think it also just shows outside of the standard stereotype of the middle ages, you know, the being dark ages, like, yeah. they were doing highly skilled yeah. kind of puzzles and games and had immense skill. And yeah. I just, I'm still learning how immense this skill is because, you know, we're always taught that no language, the English language was really born with Shakespeare. Chaucer. And, yeah, Chaucer, who is at this time, but Chaucer was special and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And it's like, yes, that's very true. But there is this beautifully rich history and other texts that debunk the... The myth. The myth, yeah, of a dark and dreary, uninformed Middle Ages. No, agreed. Um, also, I think this kind of is still kind of like a little aparte, but like... The um in this moment in our history where we're so out of touch with the environment and we are really seeing the repercussions of like our food chain and how we treat the environment, I find it so beautifully refreshing that in the Middle Ages, like especially in this passage, like there's such an awareness of uh, how it works and it feels like everyone's kind of in touch with uh, like 
at one with nature, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's like man has to cohabit with the natural forces of nature. There is no chemicals and manipulation aside from, you know, plowing a field and planting. But aside from that, like you can't control if it's going to flood, if the sun's going to bake. You have to live in harmony. So exactly. And I think that the mystical nature of this poem really does harness that just throughout. I mean, we, um, so kind of segueing with this idea into the second half of the story, right? So the passage we've just discussed is the pivot to, okay, October, it's all Hallows Eve. So end of Halloween to, um, you know, November 1st and Gawain has to leave on his journey because he doesn't really know how far he has to go to find this green chapel with the green knight. So he apparently on his, you know, journeys, they're like, oh, yeah, he battles lots of dogs and dragons and demons, but there's not enough time here to discuss this. This isn't what this <laughs> is about, which I found kind of funny. Um, and it talks about the hardship and, again, nature versus Gawain, like Gawain having to coexist in nature because he doesn't have a roof over his head. So he's sleeping in the sleeting rain against rocks and getting soaking wet and just kind of his endurance with all this. Um, But he comes across this like beautiful castle in the forest and it talks about the architecture and all these like white turrets. It's this pure, you know, building with the moat around it and this beautiful forest and the people there welcome him with open arms and uh, it's around Christmas time. It's I think Christmas Eve, actually. He's like, yeah praise so there are christian definitely christian tones in this story he's like the day of jesus's birth i need to be like oh lord please send me somewhere so that i can respect you and do mass and everything and have a day of rest this kind of magically appears this castle and so gawain quickly becomes like an integral part of this castle the um, host and his wife are very kind and jovial and there's lots of great food and meat etc and they're also like very christianity pious and um gawain's like i unfortunately i can only stay the one day because i have to continue on and our host is like no it's fine what you're looking for is only two miles away so you can stay here till day of um so following this the host um he whose name we don't know he's just like the host or the manner the host yeah um he's like okay let's make a bet so for day one so this is uh sometime after christmas yeah he's like i'm gonna go on a hunt tomorrow whatever i capture is yours yeah but then you have to reciprocate so whatever you get in the day it's becomes mine, mine. Yeah, yeah and he's like but take this opportunity just to lay in bed, Gawain, rest. You need it. You have a big ordeal coming. You've traveled so far. Relax. You know, so like the expectation of the host was like, he's not going to get that much, you know. Um, so the first day, you know, the host goes out and goes on this epic hunting quest for deer. Um, not stags, but does because it goes on how, how capturing a heart is not allowed in that season. Apparently, there are lots of passages about um, 
the hunt that are very technical that our author kind of said, unless you're interested in like hunting in the middle ages, it's too technical and gory and like people don't really care. (laughs) Um, And so uh, while the host is out hunting with the hounds and the horns and everything, you know, adventure and adrenaline, Ghislaine's just like laying in bed and hears the lady of the manor come in. He like pretends to be asleep, which is really funny. And she's very, they have like good banter. Cause then he like pretends to wake up and she goes, Oh, Gawain, what kind of night are you that you aren't awakened when somebody comes in, you know? And she's like flirting with him and stuff. And he's proving his virtue. He's like, I not going to do that. Yeah. And he's like, I'm embarrassed. I should change. And then we can go talk. And she's like, no, it's fine. Blah, blah, blah. So they continue talking and on parting, she's like, you let a woman in your room like, and sit on your bed and don't say that you expect a kiss on her departure, <laughs> you know, kind of being like, you saucy boy or something. I don't know. Yeah. Um, and so she kisses him and leaves. So, you know, then Gawain gets dressed the rest of the day, hangs out with the people of the manor. Host comes home and is like, in front of everybody, huzzah, look at all this that I've captured. Gawain, this is yours. What have you received today? And Gawain goes up and it says he tries to very courteously kiss the host. And the host is like, ha, who has given you this kiss, you lucky boy? And Gawain's like, that's not part of the deal. And he's like, okay, fair, fair. <laughs> but yeah, look, he's like, you kn- I didn't have to say who, um, because he's also trying to protect his own virtue as well as that of the lady of the manor and not be like, oh, it was your wife that kissed me. This uh, tends to happen quite a lot, doesn't it? Yeah. Temptation. It's, you know, a lot. Because so the lady of the manor is this like young, beautiful woman who's the fairest of them all, golden hair. So to to Beowulf, really. Yeah. Um, the very standard kind of, yeah, like uh, princess figure. But she's also a femme fatale in a way in this story. Mm. Um, kind of. Like just in the way that she is very sexual and witty and kind of pushes yeah. these boundaries. So before they go to bed, the host is like, same thing tomorrow? And Gawain's like, sure. So host goes out and we get this whole epic battle of hunting a boar, which show up a lot in medieval uh, literature because they were a bit larger back then and very vicious. I mean, their tusks. They're still vicious. Yeah, rip people apart. So I can imagine. Games of Thrones, you know, with Baratheon and blah, all that. So there's like a big, long thing. And Lady of the Manor comes in again to Gawain's room and they have more good chats and stuff, but he gets two kisses from her in this chatter time. Again, they're both done um, very non uh, promiscuous isn't the word I'm looking for, but like they're done in a way where it's not like, Oh, Gawain, you shouldn't have, you know, like it's still kind of in this teary territory. Um, So later that night, you know, Lord of the house comes home and he's like, look at this boar. Look at, what did you get? And Gwen gives him two kisses. And Lord of the manor is like, you are so lucky. Oh, look at you. And um, so then, you know, after dinner drinks, the wine in front of the fire and the Lord is like, same thing tomorrow. And Gwen's kind of like, I shouldn't, you know, I need to get prepared for my trip. 
And the Lord Mayor's like, ah, oh, come on, have some fun, have some spirit. You aren't quite leaving yet. And so Gawain's like, okay, fine, yes. So the following morning, you know, same thing. Host gets up really early, goes out into the woods, and it's a big fox chase. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if you know this. I just learned about this. But they call the fox Renard. Yeah. Renard in the um, like exercise. Yeah. Yeah. And um, Grenad is actually a folk figure in French lore. Yeah. Uh, the kind of like wily fox. And there's a whole canon of medieval tales and um, contemporary tales about Grenad the fox and his adventures. Oh, I didn't so, know that, actually. That's interesting. In Medievalist.net did an episode on this very recently because there's a new series coming out by a contemporary author kind of reimagining Grenad. Um, sounds really cool. interesting. Also, yes... That is why um, Robin Hood by Disney is a fox. Is that uh, Disney was going to do a Granada fox, and then they thought the story was a bit too uh, not suitable for children, so then they went with Robin Hood instead. Right. But if you look at the story of Granada the fox, and then Robin Hood, the animation and everything, and like who's what character, and yeah. So that's yeah, so cool. Really interesting. We should look into that further, but for yeah. our audience, yeah. So yeah, Granada, you know, is being chased and by the host and the hounds. And so Lady the Manor comes in again and she's like, Gawain, you leave on the morrow or whatever. Take a gift from me uh, since you have nothing to give me because everything you have you need for your conflict. So first she tries to give him this like giant, huge ruby or something like that in gold. And he's like, this is way too much no can't take that from you I shouldn't take anything from you but especially not something like that yeah and she's like well I still want to give you something here take so in the story it's a girdle and I had to google this because I was like a girdle is a woman's like shaping underwear a girdle is also um not quite a scarf but the uh the tie of a robe like a dressing gown yeah it's like the sash um, so she gives him this green sash that has, like, gold embroidery and everything. And she says, here, take this. Whoever wears this around his waist is not indestructible, but cannot be harmed or killed by any weapon. And Gawain yeah. inside is like, oh, this could be useful. Like, maybe this will prevent me from being killed. Yeah. And he's like, no, I can't take it. But he's just trying to play a game with her at this point. Yeah. So eventually after her constantly... Being like, no, you should take it. He takes it. And um, so that evening, and she also gives him uh, three kisses that during yeah. their conversation. So that evening, host comes in and he's like, today was not so good. All I have is this tattered fox, you know, because they skin the fox um, and the skins, it's just, it was yeah. not as exciting as a, a boar and things like yeah. that. And Gawain gives him three kisses, but not the sash. Yeah. And so, you know, there's the final hurrah farewell for the final day. And um, in the morning, you know, Gawain gets up. He is led by a servant to the beginning of the entrance of the Green Chapel. And the servant is like, if you run away now, I won't tell anyone. Because the Green Knight is known as nothing but vicious. No mercy. Every man that goes here dies. Save yourself. Yeah. And Gawain is like, I could not come this far and not be courageous. That is dishonor, et cetera, et cetera. It's basically proving yeah. that he was walked 
to death as a friend and accept whatever comes, but also secretly being like, I also had the sash under my armor. We'll see how this goes and if this is true or not. So the servant guy leaves him. He's like, well, good luck. Bye. (laughs) Um, And Gawain goes into this really interesting, spooky, like crag area um, that is marked by like burnt trees and burnt rocks that then leads along this stream to this mound that um, has an entrance on both sides. It's really spooky and has an atmosphere of danger and kind of the supernatural or the preternatural. Like it's, it feels like a different realm. Gawain, you know, goes up and he says, I am here. I am searching for the green knight. Is this the, the, the green chapel? And the green knight is like, I am here. And he's across the river and he has the giant axe. Cause before he arrives, Gawain just hears that like yeah. sound of the wedding of the axe, which if you've ever seen Harry Potter and the prisoner of Azkaban, that was all that was going on in my head was the sound of the executioner of Buckbeak, like oh, yeah, wedding, the beheading um, chopper axe thing. Yeah. Anyway, so that, that's that sound. Um, better than the white noise sound that I made. <laughs> um, and then the Green Knight, like, l- uses his axe as um, a pole vault to, like, launch over the river. And, like, just this kind of really crazy feat of immense strength and agility. Mm. And Gawain's like, I am here. And, you know, he bears his bare neck. And the Green Knight is like, all right, I'm going to gonna go and Gawain swerves at the last minute and the green knight is like this is not Gawain that was cowardly and Gawain's like I'm so sorry I'm so sorry give me another (laughs) chance basically he's like I did it once I won't do it again so that shows kind of like humanity right like yeah and so the knight goes down and swings the axe and stops above Gawain's neck he doesn't Mm -hmm. get it and Gawain does not flinch yeah. And then again, the the Green Knight swings the axe and like cuts part of the neck of Gawain, but does not chop it off. And at this point, you know, Gawain's like, that's too much. You've done more than your single blow. Like, I have met my my duty. I've done what's needed. And it comes to be told that the Green Knight is the Lord of the Manor. That it's the same person. And he goes, um, you know, I, each blow was meant to be for like a different act of um, your experience at the castle. And he said, the last one was because you did not give me the green sash. And he's like, because my wife was in on it and I told her to do this. Like she's been your enemy the entire time. But in like a friendly way, but like testing Gawain throughout all of this. Will he be honest? And the Green Knight's like, the sash you wear is mine. So he's like, that's how I know. And Gawain immediately goes, you are right. Here is the sash. Give another blow to me. It's what I deserve. I have been dishonest. I do not deserve it. Yeah. And at that, the Green Knight is like, no, let us be friends. You so quickly... um, admitted your wrongs and act like a, you know, virtuous man, keep the sash 
as yeah. a gift from me, but also a totem or a token of remembrance for yeah. this journey of yours and your cowardice at that moment, but then also your honesty in the end when it really mattered. And um, but we find out that the Green Knight has been charmed by Morgan Le Fay. So Morgana Le Fay from so Arthur's half-sister. Yeah. And um, it was to like test this game of... So basically, I think it was more than anything, Morgana testing Guinevere at some point. There's like a whole section on that. Um, but what's interesting is that um, the Morgana Le Fay character, um, which here in this story is like the motif of this whole enchantment, her and Guinevere's animosity, is not an invention of the, the this author, but it's also found in the Merlin, probably the earliest of the Arthurian prose romances. Yeah. And then in a later version of this story, poem, written in ballad form, contains uh, contained in the Percy MS, Morgan Le Fay does not appear. And it's just like interesting that she's there and not there. And um, also the character she's depicted as like this old crone lady of the like grandmother of the lady. Yeah. But Arthur's still young, which doesn't like that doesn't compute in regards to the legends are like the same age. So maybe it was a misunderstanding. But anyway, so Green Knight's like, yeah, this was done just to test everything. Hooray. And come back to the house. Come see your aunt. Like, no hard feelings. And Gawain's basically like, no, I need to go home. It's been a long time. I'm ready to go home. And he thanks the knight. They, et- they depart as friends. Gawain goes home, tells the story, you know, has the sash around him, and it kind of becomes part of his emblem. That and then the pentangle, which is the um, star. Mm. that all the lines overlap with one another so there's no beginning or end yeah um and if you read the number five it's very important in this story like the five virtues the five senses um five like trials all the kind of stuff and so everyone in the court eventually like has the green sash in honor of Gawain and this journey and um, it's, you know, bright green with gold. And basically it ends with like, in all is good. And the last, you know, lines of the poem are, or the version I have, maybe yours is the same or not, but I'll read it because it's short. So it ends yeah. with this bob. Is many a venture herefore hath fallen such as this. May he that bear the crown of thorn bring us into his bliss. Amen. So it ends on this very, christian note kind of like oh yep this was like a whole christian allegory medieval romance story of supernatural and environment but also like jesus yeah (laughs) i mean i thought it was actually quite interesting because throughout the story there is like a a lot of christianity in it it's not kind of like a pretext it's very much embedded in it yeah it's very fluidly embedded in it like when they talk about the pentangle in and everything and how it's like you know christ's five wounds yeah. And yeah, it is like very present. And of course, it happens on Christmas Eve. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Christmas yeah. Day. And like yeah, they yeah. go to Mass. Yeah. I also quite liked, I mean, I don't know if in your version it had the same, but like um, there's mention of Yule, which obviously mm-hmm. is like the Nord- Swedish Nordic. Um, yeah, it's Lord considered Christmas. quote unquote pagan. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah well, and like the green 
knight is very much kind of like the green man in Germanic lore, which is still around. Um, So is this just fascinating intertwining of environment and human and Christianity and older religions, quote unquote, like pagan religions, right? Like, and correct me if I'm wrong, this is like something that you're kind of looking into, right? Like the environment and the the effect of the environment and sainthood, right? Not, not wrong, right? Kind of. I'm looking at the porosity of bodies and how... That's the one. Yeah, okay. <laughs> That's the one, okay. <laughs> oh, was that it? That was your question? I thought you were going to... Okay. Um. So yeah, no, like in this, it is really interesting to me that the Green Knight it's a charm, but that it's a man and this kind of embodiment of ultimate nature. Yeah. Um, and, you know, all the green, the verdure of that and everything. So yeah, I really, really uh, enjoyed reading this. I highly recommend it. What yeah. were your final kind of feelings or thoughts, Elo, considering that you're not the biggest... I thought it was really interesting. I really like these translations. I find them really fascinating because obviously it's like a t- kind of quote unquote a take on on the story. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was really enjoyable. I feel like as a person, I have less thoughts on it, but I really enjoy hearing you like, because I feel like with, especially I feel like there's been such a progression in your way of thinking of the medieval in this past year obviously with your PhD so it's been really interesting to hear you develop these like concepts of like porosity of the body and the same body and environment and all that it's quite like it's really fascinating and I I really hope that the audience thinks the same oh thank you um and yet like with this we're not you know done with Sir Gawain because no 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 I we're not think <laughs> there are so many different interpretations that you can have I mean Carolyn Dinshaw, the queer scholar, who yeah. is the one that kind of talks about Pulp Fiction in the Medieval that really got us yeah. going with this, has homoerotic interpretations of this story, feminist yeah. interpretations. Gawain's journey is seen so many different ways. There are post-colonial interpretations. And, you know, of course, Christian. And then the traditional, this as a medieval romance. Yeah. So romance in a medieval genre is not just what we think of as romance. It's like an adventure. Usually it's the night's journey and yeah. rather than I love you and you love me. And that's always kind of secondary or perhaps like the plot propeller. Yeah. Agreed. So whenever we get the chance to watch the film and kind of return to this and use that film, like we do with Beowulf as our vehicle for a modern or contemporary interpretation of the medieval and how they work um, with like productive friction with yeah. or against one another and how they reverberate and resonate, I think will be really interesting because agreed, especially with how the reviews, at least the headlines, I haven't read reviews cause I don't want to spoil it for myself. No agreed. Yeah. It makes sense. But with people saying like that, this version of the green Knight is grungy and dark and kind of gory but also like really harnesses the mystical aspects and I'm really excited for that because we don't want like a repeat of Guy Ritchie's King Arthur no actually I would watch that but I can imagine it wasn't great I mean I might make us watch it and talk about it sometime just because it's on Netflix and it's there but yeah yeah, so this is meant to be kind of I saw one um I think it was like a Twitter 
thing and it said something like, um, uh, it was the seventh seal meets, it was, uh, I don't remember what the other bit was. It was something kind of like very contemporary and funny, but so it has this artistic aspect of the seventh seal and kind of that darkness, existential darkness. I'll have to find it and like retweet it or something. Okay. Um, yeah. So as Elo said for us to kind of conclude, we will be taking a break for what is it a month? Elo. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, I might do some like bonus episodes depending on how long like the Pearl poem is. Maybe I'll just do a reading of that. I might just do a reading of Gawain. We'll see how I'm feeling and everything just to kind of keep us in your feed. Yeah. Not, I don't have the most podcasty poetic voice or I'm the best reader, but just to kind of keep us going and make our paying for our editing software worthwhile. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, it's been, yeah, we'll be, we'll come back. I'll come back very refreshed. That is yeah, definitely need it. Um, so yeah, in the meantime, please like catch up or re-listen <laughs> and, you know, send your thoughts. Our way. Questions, queries, su- suggestions, et cetera, our way via our, all the media we have. Yeah. And if, in order to do that, please know that we are all on most social media platforms, we're on Facebook, Instagram, email. On Facebook, we've got both a page and a group. We've got a page called Modern Medieval Podcast and a group called Modern Medieval Podcast. Um, we've got a, an Instagram which, where we're quite active um, and the handle is podcast.modern.medieval. Um, we can also email us and that's always very handy and helpful for us. So just please email us on uh, modern.medieval.podcast at gmail.com and if you've enjoyed these episodes please know that you can listen to them on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube or wherever you listen to podcasts just type Modern Medieval Podcast and finally we've got a Twitter account which Megan mainly deals with. Yeah so on Twitter you can follow us at medieval underscore modern try to keep us kind of active there um, but it ebbs and flows but yes tweet at us uh link us or hashtag us or whatever it is include us and we just we do love hearing from you so it could be a meme a gif whatever you want whatever anything so yes thank you we hope you enjoyed this episode until next time i'm megan and i'm ello and this is modern medieval the podcast